Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Hallelujah. 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 Hey, man, that's awesome. Munadarei. He's got it. We are so honored to be here. That, for those that don't remember what that is, so you don't think I'm speaking in tongues without interpretation, but never do that. But um, we have life because of Jesus. Amen. And we have life because of Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Do you have life because of Jesus? We are so honored to be here. We love coming. Thank you for making us feel so loved. When we come in here, I mean, pastor tells me, oh, yeah, you're one of the favorites. But all of you coming just saying, oh, it's so excited to have you. We are blessed. Thank you for making us feel so welcome, so special. I mean, I know people coming and showing you what's going on across the world. I mean, that could get old, but, but thank you. Thank you for making us feel so welcome. We are honored to be your missionaries. Um, somebody just said, I'm glad you're called. I wouldn't want to be doing it. You know, and even last night, we were kind of saying the same thing. I feel so privileged that I get to go. We get to go. But we can only do that because of you. So thank you. Thank you for sending us. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on one of whom they've not believed? How shall they believe on one who have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Thank you for sending us. We are honored to be your missionaries. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word today, God. God, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts, Lord. God, I pray that you would just deposit a revelation within each one of us, God. I pray that my words and my message would ring true, that the anointing of your spirit is on them. Give us all ears to hear, God, and anoint my words today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Danette was talking about Heritage House. That's the latest big thing that we're a part of. Um, all the other stuff of the ministry is still going on. We're still uh, having Bible schools. We're training pastors. We're planting churches. We're now at 70 churches. So God is continuing to open the door. Even though we can't even get to many of these places, because we've trained up other leaders, um, the ministry continues to go on. Amen? In fact, one of the churches that we planted back in 2004 in Diffa has now multiplied into three other churches. So there's four out in the east part where we can't even get there because of Boko Haram. So it's really been awesome. But the children, I have to say, the children of Heritage House will bless you. And if you're considering it all, wanting to take a trip or, or come with a team, these children will touch your heart in a way that you can't, you can't I can't even describe it. You know, we took this on. It was sort of kind of fell in our lap. We had to do it that just with the situation. We, we had to take this ministry on just like overnight. But you know what? It's, it's hard as it was just to take on not only the, the work part of it, but even the financial part of it. But you know what? It's been the, one of the most rewarding things we've done. We love it. She's talking about us talking to the kids this morning. Awesome. Anyways, you have your Bibles. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 and starting in verse... Three, it says the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh, all of mankind together will see it. Are we ready for the glory of the Lord? Do we want to see the glory of, of the Lord? We want to see it in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our communities. Are we ready for the glory of God? I love it when, when Moses, he, was, he, he, was, he wasn't willing to go anywhere without the presence of God. And he said, God, I I'm not, I'm not, don't want to go to the promised land if you're not coming with us. And then he said, show me the glory. He had a desire. If there was anybody that had ever seen the glory of God in this earth, I would say it was Moses. He saw the miraculous glory of God manifested, and yet he's the one who was crying out, God, show me the glory. Do we want the glory? Are we ready for the glory? 
When I read this passage in Isaiah chapter 40, it's, it's like there's a prerequisite to seeing the glory. It says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You know, there's a preparation stage that takes place before you see the glory of God. You see, preparation comes before the manifestation. The organization begins to take place before we begin to see the multiplication. As missionaries, we serve in Niger, and many times it seems like, is there any progress? Is there any growth? But we're spending that time in that preparation phase. Now, I'm, I, I've been blessed. I took over the ministry from my mom and dad who had labored before me. And actually, when we were sent out to Niger, it was prophesied over us that we would reap where we have not worked. Praise God when you get that kind of blessing where you can reap on the benefit, you can have benefits and reap on the labors of others. And that's awesome. But you know what? It's kind of like Danette said, it's come around full circle. Now we're, we're preparing the ground. And when I look at these children, that, that's preparation. We are preparing the next generation. We can't overlook the importance of the preparation phase. We, we dismiss preparation. We dismiss the whole idea of preparing as a work of the flesh. But I want you to know today, preparation is an act of faith. By definition, preparation pre is done in advance. You don't see it yet. But by faith, we see it. And by faith, we put action. Amen? I want to talk to you about the power of preparation this morning. And I believe that before we will see the glory, we will see there's going to be a stage of preparation that we need to do. Preparation comes before the manifestation. You know, we're hearing about the revivals that have been taking place in college campuses and what started in Asbury and all across the United States. We're hearing of revivals, the glory of God manifesting. But you know what? There was a preparation that had been taking place, and there's a stirring and a hunger. Do we have, a, do we have that desire for here, right here in St. Joe? Are we preparing for God to show up right here? I want to be a voice today of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. We have to make the way of the Lord prepared. You know, when this was given, actually it was given at a time when they understood what this, this meant. Because at that time, traveling was difficult. And when a king or somebody of, of position was going to travel across, he sent out the forerunners. He sent out those that would go and prepare the way for the chief to come through because anybody of any stature or any wealth, he needed the way to be prepared so that when he was going through the land, crossing from one city to another, he wouldn't be ambushed. He wouldn't get uh, possibly kidnapped along the way. So he sent people to clear the way so that when the king or the chief or the, the wealthy man began to come, it would just quickly be able to get to where he's going. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. We are the voice today. We know that this is a prophetic word speaking about John the Baptist. And we see it as John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. But you know what? I believe that this verse goes beyond just speaking about John the Baptist as the forerunner to Jesus coming. I believe that we today are the voice in the, in the deserts of our generation. Amen. The gospel needs a voice. How shall they hear without a preacher? We need to be the voice of the gospel, amen. I don't mean to turn it up. I'm just <laughs> being dramatic. We are the gospel's voice today. Prepare the way of the Lord. Preparation is often overlooked. It's often seen as this just work of the flesh. Oh, it's just doing the works. And that's not very spiritual. You know, that's what we tend to think. Oh, you're just preparing. It's not very spiritual. Preparation comes before the glory. I was sitting there enjoying the worship today and, and knowing what I was going to be speaking about. I, I sat there thinking, this is awesome worship and way to go, praise team. I mean, it was, I loved the songs. I loved the, the presence of God. I loved the singing in the spirit after each song. But you know what? Look at all these instruments they were playing today. There was a, this represents preparation. Not only as a group that they came together and practiced the songs, but they had to spend years learning to play those instruments. And so when we come in and we enjoy that music that just brings us into the presence of God, it represents a preparation stage that's taken place. We can't overlook that preparation. I want us to read quickly in Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40, the whole chapter is God telling Moses how to prepare the tabernacle. And I'm just going to read through, kind of jump around in it, or jump right through uh, verse to verse, just sort of follow along. 
But in Exodus chapter 40, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the month. Place the ark in the covenant of the Lord. Shield the ark with the curtain. Bring in the tabernacle. Set out what belongs on it. Then bring the lampstand and set, it up, set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the ark of the covenant. Put the curtain in the entrance to the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacles, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it. Put the, put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Take the anointing oil. Anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Got to take a breath. Consecrate it and all its furnishings. It will be holy. Then anoint the altar. And, and I'm not making light of these. Please, I'm not making light. But I'm going through them quickly and fast. So you can see this whole chapter from verse 1 goes through very meticulous and very specific preparations that Moses had to do as he's preparing the tabernacle and the courtyard and everything. And it goes through all verse after verse. In verse 17, it says, So the tabernacle was set on the first day of the first month, the second year. And when Moses set up the tabernacle... He put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, set up the post. He, he, he spread the tent over the tabernacle. He put the covering over the tent. It continues on and on. Again, verse 22, Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side. Again, continuing. Um, verse 26, Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of the meeting of the front um, and burned the, the fragrance incense, fragrant incense on it. Verse 28, he put the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. He set the altar of the burnt offerings near the entrance of the tabernacle. Just on and on and on. Verse 33, and Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle. Okay, he goes through all of this. He, not only that, there's even a place where it says he had to, uh, he said, take Aaron and the sons and anoint them and, and, and make them put on the right clothes. I mean, there was so many details of preparation. Go back and read it. I, I, as, I, as I just jump through it, and I, I know he can't be jumping through like I am on the screen there but thanks for trying but you know what? there was just so many details just given out for setting it all in place and then you get to verse 33 now you can find that one okay verse 33 and it says and then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar and put up the curtain of the entrance to the courtyard and so Moses finished the work the whole from verse 1 all the way through listed out. I mean, I'm talking dozens of specific details that he had to do. And then it says, and Moses finished the work. The very next sentence. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not go in the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Preparation comes before the manifestation. We cannot overlook that preparation phase. You know, I, I love one of the statements that, that uh, Bobby Knight, who's the record-holding basketball coach of the Hoosiers, you know, he made a statement. He says, the key is not the will to win. Everybody has that. It's the will to prepare to win that is important. You see, we can't overlook that preparation phase because the preparation comes before the glory. Before you ever lift up that trophy, it represents practices and trainings and preparations. There's a power of preparation. Now listen to me. You're saying, oh, why are we talking about preparation? This is just a, some kind of works, and I can go to a self-help uh, thing, and I can go learn about this kind of unspiritual. No, this is very spiritual what I'm talking about. I mean, God gave Moses a whole list of preparations. God has given you and me a whole list of preparations. It says in that prophetic word, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the highway a desert for our God. We want to see God show up. We want to see the glory manifested. There's a preparation that has to take place. He says, prepare a way, a highway in the desert. Every valley shall be raised and every mountain brought low. Every crooked way straight and every rough place smooth. We have to prepare the way. Preparation is an act of faith. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, a story we all know about one of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed outside of the healings is the feeding of 5,000. John chapter 6, starting in verse 5, it says, Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? 
But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there's much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Sorry, my iPad is misbehaving about in number, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets of, of the fragments of the the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. And then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this, truly the pro- is, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. The glory, the multiplication, the miracle, the supernatural. We see it here. But before there was ever a multiplication of the bread, before there was ever a feeding of the 5,000, there was a preparation. You know, it starts out, it says, what are these among so many? When, when, when he said, when Andrew comes and brings the, the few loaves and, and fish to Jesus and said, well, this is what we have, but what is this among so many? So many times that what we have is a hopeless situation. What we have is not enough, uh, whether it's our finances or whether it's our, in our relationships. What, it's a hopeless situation. Whatever we're dealing with, sometimes it's just a hopeless situation. When you looked out over this crowd that needed to be fed and what they had was not enough, there's no way in the natural. But you know what, Jesus, he says, okay, what do you have, all right? Now, go and take the, have the people sit down. If we were to read this, and I think it's maybe in Luke or, or Mark's accounting of the same story it says he actually has them sit down in groups of 50 and hundreds so they're organized you see before there was ever a multiplication of bread in front of their eyes there was a preparation and there was an organization you see you start out with something that's not enough but when you put the preparation stage in place then God then God can bless it when you put in that preparation when you've set the tabernacle in place when you've set your home in place when you've done the steps of organizing and even what you have is not enough you just organize with not even having enough you prepare with even in the midst of a hopeless situation but you prepare so that God can show up and we saw the glory of God begin to manifest you know, so often when we stepped out and we started doing Heritage House, we had to pick it up like overnight. And as soon as we got this, we didn't have the extra $6,000 a month that it required for us to take this on. We didn't have it, but we knew we had to do it. And you know what? I'm telling you, we, just, we started to prepare. We started to put orders in. Okay, build those beds. Uh, let's rent this house. Let's, and man, I'm telling you, God started Connecting us with more partners. Increased giving started happening. God began to intervene on our behalf. The glory you prepare and God can pour out those blessings. Preparation comes before the manifestation. Amen? Preparation. Organization. Don't ever look down or discount that. You know, the preparation stage. I remember I used to, we used to have these, uh, like a discussion with some of my friends. That, I don't know if it was ORU days or whatever, you know, Bible thumpers in college you know but we used to say what's more important is it the destination or the journey that's more important you know there's always that kind of well the truth is the destination is very important right that's where we're all going and we all that has to be the most important right because you don't even you know without a destination you don't even have a journey so you know the destination has to be the most important but then they say but Getting to the destination is all based on the journey. Your journey determines whether you get to the destination. So then you're back to like, what's more important? Is the journey more important or is the destination more important? I'm not going to give you the answer to that, but that's just something we used to go round and round about. But my point is there is a preparation phase that takes place before the glory of God. Jesus said, have the people sit down. You know, they had to be wondering, okay, we're, we're, we're all sitting down and he's organizing us. And, and they had the exact number of people, 5,000. 
And then, then they don't count women and children. I, I, hey, that's just the Bible. Don't, don't get on my case. But, but they counted it because they were organized, had men, groups of 50, groups of 100, and they were all organized. And then he says, now begin to distribute it. And everybody ate that day. And it was a miracle. They gathered it back, 12 baskets full at the end. There was a manifestation of the glory. There was a multiplication of the bread. It was a miracle. The preparation comes before the manifestation. The organizing took place before the multiplication. Before the glory filled the tabernacle, there were things put in order. We say, well, those are just works of the flesh. That's just an un unspiritual kind of activity. No, when you clean this carpet, when you're organizing these chairs, that's a preparation. You are preparing for God to show up. When you tied your tie and you got ready and you came in here to worship God, it was a pray, it was an act of faith and an act of worship. And that opens the door. That prepares the way for the glory of God to be manifested. We can't overlook the power of preparation. We've got to prepare. In the year 2000, we were attacked, and some of you may have heard this story. I know as I come here every year, I probably repeat my stories. I'm sorry, but year 2000, we were attacked. Bible school was in session, normal um, Thursday morning. I was supposed to actually be teaching, but because of a scheduling thing, I switched with another guy. So I'm coming to come to the Bible school, and I begin to hear in town there's all kinds of riotings going on, and I couldn't even get through with the car. I dropped the car. I got on a motorcycle, made my way through, and as I arrive at our church Bible school grounds, it's on fire. A mob of 500 had stormed into our Bible school while it's in session, our church, the dorms, everything. They set it on fire. They destroyed it. Everything that we had been working up to that point, the dad had done all destroyed, burned. By the time I arrived, the crowd, the mob had already moved on, and I just met it all in flames. The Bible school students had run away, and I began calling. I said, come on back, come on, calling over the wall, and they started straggling back, and I said, we need to pray right now. We need to pray. And we prayed. And as I'm praying, I, I had an interpreter in my house. This was back in 2000. I didn't have real fluent house. So I was praying in English. I had an interpreter. I said, God, thank you that nobody was hurt through all of this and that you protected us. And then I said, in God, I just pray that you bless the people that have done this. My interpreter said, excuse me? I said, just bless the people that have done this. I'm not understanding what you are saying. I said, just repeat what I'm saying. It's hard enough to say it, <laughs> you know. But we prayed blessing. And you know what? In the midst of all that, I mean, it was, it was big news in Niger because at that point, there hadn't been all this terrorism we're hearing about now 20-something years later. At that point, there had never been a church that had been burned. We were totally, it was unexpected. In fact, at that time, Christianity was so small in the country, we weren't even considered any kind of threat. Why would they even attack us? We were, we were a drop in the ocean. But we had been on the radio. We'd been preaching. Muria uh, Cheto, the voice of salvation, our program, where we have different uh, former Muslims coming on and sharing their testimonies. And this was creating such a riot that they came and attacked us directly as a result of that radio program. And they came, uh, we got calls from BBC and VOA wanting to hear the story with the national, Niger National News came in and they videotaped all that was going, or videotaped, they, they broadcasted it on the news and, and, um, interviewed me on there and I just said you know we're what we were doing well months later people that had seen that were recognizing me and they and one guy asked me said when you were being interviewed on the television why did you have a smile on your face because I knew that what we're doing must be getting through somewhere all of that is just preparation you know God God turned that around that, because of that incident, we became so known through Niger that every, for, for like months after, everywhere we went, people were stopping and asking. In fact, police would stop us at the checkpoint and say, oh, I recognize you. You're the pastor that they burned your church. And, and I said, yeah, that, they, that's what happened. And do you have some information about what you are teaching? They're asking me for tracks. I mean, I, okay, if you want to read, go for it. God turned that around and actually, as much as the damage was, God touched the hearts of people all over. Finances came in, and within, in less than a year, we had built back everything bigger and better than it had been originally. I mean, our, our church, 
our Bible school, all of this. And when it came to the wall, the wall used to be about, you know, six feet high. Now that thing is about 15 feet high, and there's metal, there's metal spikes on the top that you can't climb over. And the, the, the little flimsy gate that used to be over the gate of the compound, a little, little wrought iron thing that you could just break through, now it's two-ply iron, I mean thick iron thing with an IPN beam that goes across the back, so even a truck would be difficult for them to get through. We built it back. Then we have the sniper positions up on the... No. But... <laughs> But you know what? That was in 2000. We were never expecting it, and we were not prepared. Three other times since then, we've been attacked. In fact, in 2015, there were 72 churches in the whole nation that got attacked as a, a response to the Charlie Hebdo thing that took place in Paris with uh, the, uh, some the journalist reflected, depicted Muhammad as a cartoon, and it created quite a, a wave in the Muslim world. And in Niger, they used it as an opportunity to attack churches. And in two days, 72 churches were burnt, burned. And out of those 72, five of them were ours, were related to our ministry. And, but one of them that they attacked, in fact, the only one they attacked in that particular city in Marathi was our church, because our church in Marathi is the big one. And they came, a whole mob in 2015, and came to attack us, the same church that had been attacked back in 2000. But you know what, when they came to attack, with all their, the, the fire the, and the, the sticks and the stones and knives or whatever, and they're trying to get in, they couldn't. And for four to five hours, they say, the mob was there trying to get in, and they never got in. Our wall was too high and our gate was too strong. And plus, we had 15 youth that were standing behind holding the gate, refusing to leave young people that had been prepared through our children's camps to have a zeal for the house of God. And they prevented anybody getting in. They just could throw stones and break some of the windows and all the stones came, uh, came in the compound. But, but they never got in. They didn't really have much to destroy. They couldn't destroy much. A few broken windows. In 2000, we were not prepared. But, but in 2015, we were prepared. And Jesus said, after, after they had already fed all 5,000, and then he says, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. You see, when you've prepared and you're organized, you will not let any of the blessings of God be wasted and nothing lost. And I thank God that that particular attack, the three times since the original, we have not lost anything because we've been prepared. We can't overlook that preparation stage because when you're prepared and you're organized, you won't lose anything. My dad started our ministry and we were growing. I mean, dad was one of the first spirit-filled ministries to start working in Niger in, the, in 1992. It was the same year Assemblies of God came into the country and then my dad also came into the country. And so it was the spirit-filled church was still brand new. The original evangelical church that didn't really believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit had been there for about, at that time, almost 70 years but they, they were growing and there was a little bit of a Christian presence, but still very, very low. I mean, it was less than a quarter of 1% when, we, when, when the Via Bondant started. Today, they're saying there's about 2% Christian in the country. Now, I don't know if it's really that high, but that's what the government has stated. That's an incredible amount of growth. God is changing it, amen? Preparation, nothing is lost. So when dad started, there was all this growth it was going on and then but it started as we start as all the growth people would be getting saved it seems like we would all just stay at a certain level people were continuing to get saved but then we weren't really growing it's like they come in the front door but they'd leave out the back door and what we begin to realize at that point is that we really weren't that organized and this was pretty quick when I first got there I joined the ministry about six years after dad had started it and we started realizing right away we're not organized to handle new people coming in we're not prepared for us to grow as a ministry. We didn't have the, the, the organization in place, how to handle decisions, so people would be getting irritated or upset. There wasn't a clear process. So we, we began, that was how our executive council, our board was established. Dad got there and the ministry was growing. 
But it was just like nobody was really in charge except for dad just kind of, oh, go run with it. He was, he was a mobilizer. He was a visionary. But there was no organization. And so what happened is you could only stay at a certain level. People come and get saved, but they'd go. But once we established and got saved, we started to multiply. You see, the organization came before the multiplication. The preparation opened the door for the manifestation. Do we want to see the glory of God and are we prepared for it? Do we want to see God show up in our families? Have we prepared the way for God to come? Preparation. Jesus, our God is a God of preparation. Even before man sinned, he had a plan. He had already prepared how he was going to rescue us. You know, sometimes even the suddenlies in the Bible, we think, oh, that's just a suddenly. Oh, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy suddenly, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came in and there's a mighty sound or rushing wind. And oh, the sudden, even the suddenlies had been prepared. That day, Peter got up and said, and this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. You see, God is a God of preparation. He, he cut covenant with Abraham. So that he was, could, could, could have a legal right to come and save us. And then with Moses, he brought the law so that he could show man the need for salvation. And then he sent prophet after prophet, all preparing the way and preparing mankind for the Messiah to come. And then even before Jesus shows up, John the Baptist came to prepare the way. From every law, every festival, to every prophet, it's all been a preparation. We are a voice. Prepare the way of the Lord. We can't overlook that preparation phase. Do we want to see the glory of God in the house? Do you want to see God show up? 2007, and I know I've shared this. We had the privilege of hosting the first mass evangelism crusade in Niamey, in Niger, a Muslim nation. And, and, you know, Muslim countries don't, you, see, you hear about the, crusades that take place in Africa and hundreds of thousands, they don't take place in the Muslim countries. Because most of the time, evangelists aren't even allowed into some of those countries because th there's not enough security. And right now in Niger, we couldn't host mass evangelism anymore because of the level of terrorism. But there was a window of time. You know, in, in the 90s, actually Reinhard Bonnke wanted to come and the government shut it down because there wasn't a strong enough Christian presence that they could even handle somebody like Reinhard Bonnke. But then in 2007, God spoke. Actually, in 2006, Richard Roberts had to make an emergency landing because of the plane, and he landed in Niamey, and God said, I want you to do a crusade here. And so when he got back home, eventually he said, do we know anybody in Niger? And my mom and dad had done a crusade back with, when they were in Nigeria with Richard. And so through that, we were able to connect. And in 2007, we hosted the first mass evangelism crusade in a Muslim country. And actually, um, about 30,000 gathered. But you know, I say this to say that meeting that we did, we spent one year preparing. And then in 2006, we started making the plans. They gave us a thick manual of how to prepare for mass evangelism crusade. From everything that you have to do from the, the, the signboards, billboards, advertising, radio, TV, the networking of, of buses to mobilize crowds, to setting up the crusade fields, the stadiums, the backup generators, the lighting. I mean, it's a, a mobilizing churches, everything. And so for one year, we followed through this manual, preparation, preparation, preparation. We even had to prepare the mindset of the pastors at that time, because when we first started talking about doing this rally, this crusade that we were going to do, even the Christians that exist, that, that were there at that time, mainly out of the evangelicals, because the spirit-filled church was still just starting to grow, the, the mindset was so much different than what it is today. When, when we said, okay, we're going to have this meeting, we're bringing in Richard Roberts, and we're going to do a big evangelistic campaign, so one of the guys says, well, I suggest that we call this National Evangelization Campaign. And my dad, who was in the meeting, who is in charge of the finances for the crusade, um, said, what Muslim is going to come to that? <laughs> so he said, we're going to call this Miracle Healing Rally. And because dad had the, in charge of the money, that's what it was called. <laughs> and, and so we set it all up. For one year, we're preparing for a Miracle Healing Rally. At the back of the crusade, there is a, a banner that says, uh, attendez votre miracle, that's in, in English. I mean, that's French for 
expect your miracle. So that's across the back of it. And so the crowds that day after one, one year of planning, the day of the crusade comes and people are rushing in and coming. And, and even I was standing on the platform. I'm getting ready. We're waiting for Richard's uh, going to be coming in to the crusade grounds with the, the entourage. And, and I am the one that gets to introduce him to the crowd to come and minister. I mean, it was, it was an exciting time in my life in ministry. But right before that, a pastor comes up to me and says, all the pastors that have come for this, they're starting to be very nervous and they're complaining. They're saying, why did we call this Miracle Healing Rally? He says, why did you, why did you put Expect Your Miracle at the back of this crusade uh, platform? This will be a great shame for all the Christians in Niger if there is no miracles. You see, that was the mindset of the people. One year of preparing, getting it all set, and that day, the crowd started coming in. And I remember looking at the first night, it was about 10,000. That, that's big for a Muslim country. And by the third night, the last night, there's about 30,000. Looking out over a field of 30,000, it, it's pretty awesome. But I remember that first night, Richard preached, and he preached a powerful salvation message, and then it comes time to pray for the sick, the time for the miracles. And I remember as he got up, and he says, now today, if you're sick in your body, I'm going to pray, and God is going to heal you. And he began to say, and, and as he stood up to pray, he had all, the, all of us that were on the platform with him, we all came and stood along the platform. And I remember, you know, Richard was over there, and he was declaring every foul spirit, come out, every sickness, every lame, begin to walk, and blind eyes open. And we're all lined up, and I remember standing there just, oh, God, God, you got to do it now. God, you got to do it now. And man, in the midst of all that, after one year of preparation, oh, preparation, some of those days preparing, it wasn't fun. Making phone calls, running here, carrying this, setting it up. But you know what? That day made it all worth it. I'll never forget as we're standing there and the crowd begins to shout. There's a miracle here. There's a miracle here. And then across the crowd, just people shouting. That day, there were more people healed than any other first night crusade in any of Richard's meetings. That's what he told me. He says there was the more miracles on that first night of any of his crusades. We had 12 people that were lame that walked that, that day. The next day, the police vehicles were going around the town and the city using their police vehicles to carry the lame and the sick and the beggars to bring them into the crusade fields. It was an outpouring of God's glory. Preparation comes before the manifestation. God poured out his spirit, the glory of God. Hallelujah! Preparation comes before the manifestation. We can't overlook that preparation stage. It's so easy just to begin to, 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 to overlook it. It's just a, it's unspiritual. It's just a work of the flesh. You know, Jesus, Jesus taught us so much about preparation. If you look at his parables, almost the majority of his parables have something to do with preparation. I love, the, I love the one parable where, of course, there, there's, this parable says a lot more than what I'm just going to touch on this morning. But the, the one about the banquet, the king's son is going to have a, a wedding and he sends out, uh, sends out the invitations. But he sends it to the noble and the high people and they just despise the invitation. And, and, and then, I mean, you know the more details of the story, but I'm just going to cut to the points that are pertinent to what I want to point out here. And that is... After all that, then he sends it to everybody. He wants the banquet hall filled. So he then, it's not just for the noble people to come to his son's banquet, but he sends it out to all. And you know, we, can, we know what that means, okay? We know what that means for, for the gospel being for all people, right? And he sends it to everybody. And the house is full. It come, the banquet hall gets filled up. And that day of the wedding, the, 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 the king comes out. To look at the crowd, and as he comes out, he sees that, oh, it, my, the house is full. But then he sees somebody there that day that's dressed without really preparing. It's a good thing you wore your suit today. <laughs> and he sees the guy that didn't really prepare for a, a wedding, 
And he looks at him, and he does he, all his mind of all the crowds and everybody. It's not about them. Now it's about this guy who didn't prepare. And he asks him a question. He says, is this what you're wearing to my son's wedding? And you know what the man said? Nothing. He was speechless. It says there right in the Bible. He was speechless. You know, when you're not prepared, you don't have anything to say. <laughs> How many times have we been caught without anything to say? He was speechless. And then they said, take this man out and beat him. <laughs> I mean, preparation's pretty important. Now look, everybody's been invited. Amen. Many are called. We've all been called. But when you come in, there's an expectation to prepare. He prepared. God prepared. Are we prepared? We want the miracle. We want the glory. We want the manifestation. We want the multiplication. Amen. We should want it. Show me the glory. But are we prepared? We've got to prepare. Let's not be found speechless. Jesus teaches another parable about the ten, the ten virgins, right? And, and they, they all have their lamps, and they're all waiting for the groom to come, but the groom delays. And so as they're delaying, they kind of fall asleep, but by the time they wake up, they realize it's already dark. They go to light their, their, their lance, lan- lanterns, lamperns, lance, lan- lan- and only five of them have oil in them. The other five don't have any. They say, give us some oil. No, you go get your own. They run off to get their own, and what happens? The bridegroom shows up. And only the five that were prepared with their lamps and oil, they get to go on with the, with the bridegroom. And the other are left. You know what? When I heard that parable, what I think about is they all showed up that day with their lamps. They all came walking in with their big King James Bible. You don't have a big enough Bible, brother. They all came in with their big King James Bible, but nothing on the inside. You know, we like, to, we like to look on the outside like, oh, we're prepared. We got it under control. But are we ready for God? Have we really prepared? Is there a highway? Is there a way prepared for God to show up? Amen? I hope I'm stirring you in being prepared. Preparation. Preparation. Okay, let's go. I, I don't even know where I'm at at time. Okay, good. I still got time. Prepared. We've got to be ready. Preparation is not just an unspiritual action or work. It is a work of faith. It's faith in action. You know, I'm not preaching a works-oriented salvation, but you know what? The grace of God and what we receive from God is through faith that we receive it, right? And faith without works is dead. We prepare the way of the Lord and He shows up. Are we ready for the glory of God? Amen? Amen? Jesus prepared. I love one other passage I love. Before, before I, we, we read in 2 Kings chapter 4, you can turn there. And while you're turning there, let me tell you about Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew chapter 17, the, the disciples couldn't cast out a demon of, of a son that was brought by the father. And so Jesus comes and the father says, will you cast out, uh, will, will you heal my son? He's possessed by this demon, throws himself into the fire. And your, your disciples couldn't do it. So Jesus immediately um, cast the demon out. The boy is delivered. And then he looks at his disciples. You guys. <laughs> and then the disciples ask him. They said, Jesus, why couldn't we cast out the demon? Now, I believe the disciples were genuinely wanting to know and surprised that they couldn't. Because actually the disciples had already been sent out. And it already come back testifying that even the demons trembled. They had already cast out demons. So that day they were surprised. Why couldn't we? And Jesus says, gives an answer that is what I want us to really hear what Jesus said today. Uh, in that moment. He says, because of your unbelief. But he says, this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. Now, Are we talking about whether the demon comes out or the unbelief comes out? I tend to believe it's the unbelief. But whether it's the unbelief doesn't come out by prayer and fasting or the demon itself doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. But the point about it is it's with prayer and fasting. I'm sure the disciples prayed in that moment. 
but it's with prayer and fasting. Are you talking about fasting now? Well, in a way, yes, I'm talking about preparation. You see, there is a level of preparation that you do to walk in the authority that you need to walk in, the, the, the authority that has been given to you. But unless you've prepared yourself in the Word, unless you've prepared your, yourself by spending time in the Word, you're not going to walk in the authority that was given to you. It's yours. But we need to prepare. We can't overlook that preparation stage. Prayer and fasting. Come on now. Amen. All right, now let, have you found 2 Kings chapter 4? 2 Kings chapter 4. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditors are coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And then he said, go borrow vessels everywhere from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went in from him and shut the door behind her and her sons and brought the vessels to her. Who brought the vessels to her and he poured it, she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel, so the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God and said, go, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. We've heard this miracle many times. I, I know this story, and, and I love this story. But here again, we see just like Jesus getting ready to feed the 5,000, what they had was not really enough. Here's a woman in a hopeless and desperate situation. Just like the need of feeding 5,000 hungry people with just a little bit, it's not enough. It's a hopeless situation. Here this woman, the creditors are coming to take her sons. What she has is not enough. But you know, I find it interesting. The man of God says, what do you have in your house? A lot of times we don't think we have what it takes. But you know what? God wants to use what you already have, but he wants you to take that and put your faith in it. Put your faith together with it. Your faith in God with what you already have and begin to prepare for God to do something. Preparation. Don't overlook that preparation. Say, so, so what does the man of God say? He says, okay, all you got is a jar of oil. You don't think it's enough? Well, do this. Go and borrow empty vessels. Anybody will give up an empty vessel. That wasn't worth anything. So they went and she gathered up a bunch of empty vessels and she went into the house and did exactly as the man of God said. Shut the door and begin to pour. And it says she filled with a small bottle, filled up a big one and set it aside. And then she says, give me another one. And she filled it from the small jar, fills another big one. I mean, these are miracles. One jar, two jars, three jars. It's miracle after miracle after man. And bring another one, another miracle. God was doing something. The glory of God was being poured out. Then she said, bring another one. And they said, oh, that's it. They're gone. And it says the oil ceased. You see, the oil continued to flow according to the level of preparation. If the lady had gotten a thousand bottles that day, she would have had a thousand bottles of oil. But if she had only prepared ten, oh, ten's enough, okay. According to the level of your preparation, God wants to pour out his glory. What are we doing today? Are we preparing for a big outpouring? Or are we okay with just a little bit? God wants us to prepare. My last point on my, uh, my message it's going to be several verses here, but my last point is this. Preparation positions you for what God has in your life. God wants to pour. He wants you to walk in authority. He wants to pour out miracles into your life. He wants you to be a voice that, that is going to touch people. But are you prepared for that? Your preparation positions you for your purpose. That's a great one. You can write that one down. If you don't write anything down. Preparation positions you for your purpose. I want us to read in Habakkuk. Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to say it. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I will stand my watch, and I will set myself on the rampart, and watch to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer when I'm corrected. Verse 2, then the Lord answered me, and said, write the vision, and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. Habakkuk said, I will stand my watch, I will set myself on the rampart, 
and I will watch to see what he will say to me. He got himself prepared and in position. He was in position before God ever spoke to him. We want to hear from God. We want to see a vision. We want the glory of God. Show me the glory. We got to get in position. And your preparation positions you for God to speak to you. The Bible says you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. He says you don't light a candle and put it under a bushel or under the table, but you put it in its position on a stand. We've got to get in position. We've got to prepare ourselves to be the light that God called us to be. Your preparation prepares you for his purpose. Let's get in position. Let's prepare. Amen. And let's get in that position that we are going to do all that God called us to do. The Passover, Exodus. God had done miracle after miracle in Egypt to deliver to deliver the Israelites out of bondage of slavery. And don't, don't get nervous. I'm watching time. We're, we're all together. You with me? Amen. The Passover was going to be the, the, the climax of every outpouring, miraculous power, display of power that had been done in Egypt time after time. And there was nine of them. And every time Pharaoh would harden his heart and refuse to let him go. But he said, but this, this is the Passover. This, and, and he told Moses, I want you to prepare. I want you to prepare because you're getting ready. This, this, this miracle display of my power is, is going to get you ready to be released. And he told them and, and, and gave very clear detailed instructions to Moses how to prepare for that Passover. And as you look and you can read all the, and I'm not going to read them all, but again, very detailed, how they're to select the right lamb that they're going to use to, to how to, how to sacrifice it, how to take the blood and put it on the doorpost, how to take the meat and prepare it. They can't just boil it and eat it. No, there's details of what parts you're going to eat and how you're going to cook it. So all this preparing how you're going to select it, what you're going to do with the blood, how you're going to prepare the meat to eat, and then even how they're going to eat it. There were detailed instructions of how they're going to eat it. And I just want to read just the last part of that in Exodus chapter 12. Start reading in, I'll start reading in verse 7. It says, And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the lintels of the house where they eat it. And then they shall eat the flesh on that night... Roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw. Well, I guess God had to tell them that. Uh, Nor boiled it all with water, but roasted in fire its head and its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Then verse 11. And thus you shall eat it with A belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I remember when I first read this, I almost got convicted. Because in my... I'm going to just grab this chair up here. I had to go far to get this chair. All right. I got convicted of when I first read this because I begin to think about how I like to eat my dinner. Now, when our kids were young, we had our big meal at lunchtime. I'd come back from the Bible school. We'd eat together as a family, so don't judge me. But at night, at night, we kind of eat sort of in the TV room. And in the TV room, I have a chair where I like to eat my food. It's a recliner. And, you know, you sit on that chair, and you got the lever, and boom, the feet are up. Okay, and I like to take off my shoes, get my food here, the remote control. Come on, guys, you got to loosen the belt, right? So the belt's loosed, the feet are up, no shoes, and I, this is positioned to enjoy my dinner, right? And then I read this, and it says this is how you're going to eat it. With your shoes on your feet and your belt tied, your staff in your hand. That's a picture of standing up while you're eating. You've got shoes on your feet, the belt's tied, the the staff is in your hand, and you're eating it in haste. That was positioned. 
They were prepared and ready to be released out of bondage. They were positioned and ready to do what God called them to do. Sometimes we're too busy relaxing. This is a picture of how many of us in the church, this is our level of preparation for what God called us to do. Our shoes aren't on our feet. Our belt's not tightened. Our feet are up in the air. And God's saying, get prepared. I got something big for you to do. Get ready. Get your staff in your hand. Amen. Get your feet. Get your shoes on your feet. Are you ready to be released and do what God called you to do? We're going into another level of freedom. We're saying, God, show me your glory. Preparation comes before the manifestation. The organization comes before the multiplication. Come on, we got some preparation to do. Preparation positions you. Very quickly as I close, I just want to give you some practical things that we can prepare. Things that we can do that we can prepare practically. Number one, write your vision down. Just like God told Habakkuk, write the vision down. When you write that vision down, you're preparing for that vision to come to pass. You're preparing for that vision to be acted on. What's God shown you for your life? Write it down. I'm happy to see people taking notes as you're listening. But you know, when you're even in your own house and God speaks to you and you're reading, write things down that God's showing you. You, We should all have a prayer journal. We should all be ready to, to, to... To hear from God and to write these things down. So number one, write down what God shows you, what he speaks to you. Write it down. That's practical preparation. Puts you in position. Number two, make plans. Make plans. You know, one Nigerian preacher, I remember growing up, said, you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Plans are important. So you need to have a plan. You need to have a plan for reading the Bible. You know, pastor was just confessing to me he was saved for how many years before you read through the Bible? I gave, what did you tell me? Like, a long time. My wife's been reading through the Bible for more than 10 years. Every year she goes, a reading plan. And now with computers and laptops and you version, I mean, so easy. Tells you what to read that day. Keeps track of it. Knows where you're at. And when you skipped, it knows. But you know what? Have a reading plan for your Bible reading. Don't just... Oh, today, what do I feel like reading? And, and then if that's all you got and it's not a plan, you're probably going to miss a whole lot more days. Make a plan that prepares you. Have a plan. Have a plan for evangelism. We want to be used by God. We want to share the gospel with people. Have a plan of how you do that in advance. Prepare. What is the right kind of question for somebody that's going through this kind of situation? And already pray, plan, plan in advance. How can I be prepared to make the most of the... If I come across a Muslim, well, how do I introduce the gospel to him? If I come across an atheist, what am I going to do? If I come across a young mother that seems to be struggling, how do I open up a conversation for the... Have a plan in advance. Have the scriptures... Have the things that you have your testimony planned. Write it down in advance. How can I share my testimony to have the most impact? Have a plan for evangelism. Have a plan for missions. Don't just do missions like, oh, you know, if, if a missionary comes by, yeah, I'm going to drop some money. In the no, plan in advance. And I'm so grateful for pastors that tell their congregations in advance, hey, we've got a missionary coming, plan and prepare. That's what Moses, that, I mean, that's what Paul did. He wrote to the church ahead of time and said, hey, I want, you to, I want you to plan. I'm coming. Be prepared. I didn't do it. I just, so you guys know, I did not tell him to prepare for, you know, but, but I thank God for pastors that go ahead and prepare on their own. Amen. We need to have a, a plan, whether it's evangelism, whether a plan for our finances. I mean, right up. I mean, I got to say this in Niger a lot more than I do in America. Because in America, we kind of understand having a budget, right? In Africa, people don't live with a budget. I got to teach in our discipleship school how you handle money. So you take your money and whatever you get, this is, you now have a plan, a budget of how. First, tithe, remove God's portion. First 10%, bring to the church. But then there's, you plan what, what you, the, the things that you need to pay for, plan your offerings, plan, 
Have a plan, whether it's your money, your finances, your, your giving. Have a plan for giving, a plan for evangelism. So we make plans. And the third that I'll say, the last point of practical steps of preparation is, is that we set objectives and goals. So it's not just having a plan. It's not just writing down the visions. But now put objectives and goals into that plan. You say, well, I, I don't know if it's going to come to pass, but... Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope gives some direction, and hope, hope is like a goal. Put a goal down so that you position yourself, so you plan towards something. I was just talking about the kids. We've got the kids started in the Heritage House on so many different activities other than just school. And you can start playing or whatever. I, I, I don't even know how I'm going to wrap this up at this point, but I am there. I'm, I'm there, believe me. But with the Heritage House kids, we've got them involved in sewing. We've got them involved in computers. We're, we're doing music, a choir. We're teaching them instruments. We're teaching them, if they've already got French, strong French, we're teaching them English now. So we're wanting them to develop in all these other areas. But I just said to Danette, we need to have, not just teaching them sewing, we need to have a project, like something in advance, where they're all working towards that so that they're mobilized. You know, without, without a vision, people cast off restraint, Right? People perish without a vision because they're, they're scattered. We need to have direction and goals. So as you position yourself, we need to prepare. Don't overlook the preparation stage. I know I've used the word preparation so many times in the last hour. You're probably just preparation, preparation, preparation. But you know, that's one of my gifts is I'm a repetitive preacher. And I just keep hitting it from every angle. But I hope you walk out of here today saying, hey, man, I, I need to prepare. As I wrap up my message, I, I will call for three responses to this message. Number one, if you're unprepared, meaning you're not ready to meet Jesus. Jesus said he's coming back like a thief in the night. you got to be prepared. If you don't know Jesus, first of all, you're not prepared. But maybe you know Jesus and he lives in your heart, but you still don't feel ready to meet Jesus. I want us all to be so prepared that we know that if he comes tonight, we're going to be excited. But are still there's some things, oh, I've left undone. I need to get that done. You know, I remember as a kid, I, I wanted to be married before Jesus came. I said, Jesus, let me get married before you come. And then it was got to have kids and then grandkids. But are we ready? So the number one, if you're unprepared today and you feel like there's areas of your life that are not as prepared as they need to be, you need to respond. The second area that, I, that I'd like to talk, I'd like us to respond to is if you're out of position. Out of position. Maybe there's things that have... Uh, Pulled you out of position. You know that verse said, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight a highway in the desert. Every valley shall be raised and every mountain brought low. Every crooked ways straight and every rough place is smooth. Maybe there's mountains. Maybe there's some obstacles that, have, that, that you're holding. It could be unforgiveness. It could be some situation that you've just, it's become a grudge and you don't let go of. Maybe there's some valleys. Maybe there's some depressions. Maybe there's some things you just need to give to God and say, God, I can't have these. This is preventing a clear road for you to be moving in my life. I need to give this up. So if you're out of position because you've allowed certain things, maybe there's some crooked things, some dishonesties that have been going on, and you need to say, God, I, I need to get back in position. Maybe you need to make some plans. Maybe you need to get in position. And the third, and I know they're very similar, but the third, the third area that I would say is that if you're dealing with loss and you need to gather up the fragments that remain, and maybe in the past there has been a lack of proper preparation, a lack of organization, you say, oh, it's too late, it's lost. I want you to know Jesus has got it all under control. <laughs> Amen. If you give him control. If you don't give him control, he doesn't have control of it. But if you say, God, I need you. I've got fragments that are scattered. If you're here today and there, if you've experienced some kind of loss, whether it was your fault or not, and you've experienced some kind of loss, I want this to be an opportunity for you to re respond. We could, we've experienced some loss, but God has always restored back. I believe that there is an anointing for God to restore back today. And you can from today make a decision to put yourself in position. You can make a decision today to get prepared where you're unprepared. And that, and that starts by coming to the altar. You say, this is too uh, confrontational of a message. Yeah, I believe in confrontation because I think without confrontation, there's no real breakthrough. 
So today I want you to stand up with me and I want you, if any of those areas that I've touched on, and I know we're a mature congregation, I know that making an altar call like this could be pointless, but you know what? Today, if you fall in any of those categories, you feel any sense of being out of position and not where you need to be, you feel any need to be more prepared, the altars are here. Every eye closed. Let, I'm going to pray right now for you. And I'm going to ask you to step forward if any part of this message has touched you. And if you're dealing with loss right now and you need restoration of anything that you have lost, the gathering up the fragments takes place at the altar right here. Father, in the name of Jesus, as I preach this message, God, that you gave to me, I'm praying, God, that, there, that this message would touch the hearts of people, God. And God, if anyone is out of position, God, you would, you would stir within them, God, right now in their spirit, God. Stir within their spirit, God, to get back prepared and in position, God. I'm praying, God, for those areas, God, that we have failed to plan, God. And Lord God, that you would draw them in, God, that they will experience your glory today, right now. There's nothing like coming and getting back in position. Oh God, I pray you touch the hearts of the people. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, Make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.